Amen. All right. Mary Waxter, would you like to come up here and get your five seconds of fame on video? Or just congratulations for winning our second annual uh, chili cook-off contest. Cheryl over there winning the first annual. There you go. Listen, one on each side. That's right. And, uh, but I bring that up because I don't know if you guys, I was talking to Bill earlier, but uh, we are actually planning on, since we're a little competitive here, we're planning on, uh, not, we didn't want to wait until next year to the third annual chili cook-off contest. So we decided, I'm not kidding you, in May, Lord willing, in May, we're going to have a barbecue meat contest. You know what I'm saying? And there's already smack being talked about that. Yeah, oh yeah, judge again. You always get to be the judge, Joey. But anyway, that's right. Uh, anyway, uh, but anyway, we're actually going to do that. We're going to have a barbecue meat contest. And, uh, but, uh, so that's coming up in May. Uh, but by way of example, obviously, we just like the chili cook-off contest. We're going to have that over in the fellowship hall. But I say all that to get to this point. How would you guys like to get there, Lord willing, in May? Uh, you finally get through the doors there in the fellowship hall. And as you open the doors to the fellowship hall, this is what happens at the barbecue cook-off contest. Let's take a look. Now, for those of you who don't know Iranian, I'll translate that for you. What that guy was saying was, don't let John Gibson light the grill. I'm sorry. <laughs> you tell you what. Really? Okay. No. Well, he's not here, so I get to pick on him. That's right. He should come. He should come. That's right. But, uh, but seriously, uh, how many guys would love to go to the barbecue meat contest in May, and boom, big old firestorm comes flying out there, right? Okay. No, obviously, none of us would. And I think the reason why is obvious because it's a fire and fires are scary, right? Turn to somebody and say, fires are very scary, right? They're fearful. <sighs> Who likes to be in a fire? Nobody, right? But once again, here's the ironies we're seeing with our study, okay? Most people today are more afraid of going through a temporary building fire than they are of going through a permanent hell fire. Stop and think about that. More people in our world today are more concerned about a temporary fiery flame. Ooh, than they are of the eternal flames of hell, even though the Bible talks about it all over the place. It's real, okay? And we've been seeing our study. The reason why the Bible tells us Romans chapter 3 is because there's no fear of God before their eyes. Not all fear is bad, okay? When you touch a stove, okay, and it hurts, is that bad? When it sends the signal to your brain, oh, stay away. No, not all fear is bad. And that's what Jesus said. He says, hey, listen, fear is good. The Bible says the uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because the rubber meets the road. This is where it all is. You can get all kinds of things wrong in life. But if you get eternity wrong, you're in a heap of trouble. And that's why Jesus said, hey, listen, I'll tell you who you should fear. Don't fear man, fear God, because God has the power to send you straight into heaven through Jesus Christ or straight into hell for rejecting him. And how many guys would say that uh, spending your weekend in hell is pretty bad, Right? A lot worse than that uh, barbecue thing blowing up, okay? And uh, so that's why we're going to continue, believe it or not, on our study, The Witness of Creation, okay? And what we're doing is taking a look at the different evidences that God's left behind for us that you don't have to go to hell, okay? That he's real and not just stare at him, hey, God, okay? That we really can have a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with him. We don't have to go to hell, 
okay? And that begins through Jesus Christ, okay? And we've already seen that in many different ways. The first evidence he showed us that truth was the evidence of an intelligent creation or intelligent design. The second evidence was the evidence of a young creation. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. The third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. We did not come from the goo to the zoo to me and you. Uh, we came from the hand of God, a special creation for a special relationship with him. Evolution is a lie. Uh, the fourth evidence we saw uh, that we can have a relationship with God was the judge creation or in the days of Noah. And what we saw is there's so much evidence all this world, it's crazy that God really did do what he said. He judged this planet once because of sin, and so if he's gonna says he's going to do it again, you might want to pay attention, right? Okay, and then we saw the last three times, the fifth evidence was the evidence of a fearful creation. And we saw that, once again, that's the theme. God used a fearful, awesome creation, creature called dinosaurs that he made in the book of Job to teach Job a lesson about healthy fear. Now, as a Christian, we're not afraid of eternal damnation. Praise God that's been taken uh, clear through Jesus Christ, right? Am I glad about that? All two of you, praise God, the rest of you, we'll keep praying for you, right? Okay, yeah, okay, but as a Christian, uh, a healthy fear of God, uh, we shouldn't talk smack about God, no need to doubt God, like what Joe began to do, because then you're headed for a spanking from God. Ours is not a judicial fear, i.e. hell, ours is a parental fear, a disciplinary fear, okay? But God used dinosaurs, the fearful creation of dinosaurs, to teach Job that lesson. Now, the problem is we saw that we're being lied to. Okay, and so we're taking a look at the truth about dinosaurs, and we saw that uh, contrary to the lie of evolution, uh, the worldwide flood is what wiped out the dinosaurs. Okay, it was not a bad case of constipation, as they would say, believe it or not. It's not backaches, it's not a drug problem, and they certainly didn't turn into chickens. Hello, they actually teach that. Remember that? Okay, anything but the obvious, it was a flood. And we saw it had to be not just a flood, but a recent worldwide flood, because what do we find? We find fresh dinosaur bodies, fresh dinosaur tissue, and fresh dinosaur blood cells. There's no way in the world those things lived 65, 70 million years ago. It's impossible, and they know it, and they just keep dancing around the issue, okay? But that's not all. Uh, We're going to take a look at another aspect tonight, okay? So, so far, you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Pastor Bill, let's put all this together so far. If God really did create the dinosaurs, and he did, And if man really coexisted with dinosaurs, and he did, and again, we're seeing this not just because the Bible says so, but because of the evidence, what we find says so. So if God created the dinosaurs, and he did, and dinosaurs and man lived together, uh, uh, coexisted, and they did, and if the dinosaurs were really wiped out by a recent worldwide flood, then wait a second, Jim, then that means (laughs) Noah must have taken some dinosaurs on the ark. What? What? You mean to tell me that dinosaurs were on the ark with Noah too? Yeah, but don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God, okay? Clearly implies there in the scripture. Open your text to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 through 22. All righty. Genesis chapter 6, page 5 of my Bible. And uh, verse 11 through uh, 22, let's take a look. What really went on that ark, Okay. Let's take a look there, Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 11. Let's take a look there. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So here's what you do. You make yourself an ark. 
okay, of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark within 18 inches to the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. And I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in him. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, God said to Noah, and you will enter the ark and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird. We're going to get to this again tonight. Notice it didn't say species. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind. Notice how specific God is with that word. Every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. Wait a second. Did, didn't dinosaurs move along the ground? Yeah. Okay, uh, so you are to take two of every kind of creature that moves along the ground that will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take uh, every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And Noah said, hey, God, listen, there's a great game on this weekend. I ain't got time for that. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. He did everything God commanded him to do. And that's a whole different sermon. Okay, but according to our text, uh, folks, I think you guys, it's pretty clear. I think it is in here. Uh, the Bible clearly says Noah was to take with him on the ark two of every kind, not species, two of every kind of air-breathing land animal on the ark. So obviously, logically, that would include the dinosaurs, right? I didn't say it, God did. It's right here in the text, okay, in black and white. Noah, according to God, no matter what our society says, no matter how much it disagrees with the History Channel, Okay, God had Noah take two of every kind of air-breathing land animal, and that would include the dinosaurs, right? Now, as soon as you say something like that, dinosaurs on the ark, right, people bring up some objections, or maybe just some common sense questions, and I don't think they're bad, but they need to be answered. And the first question that people would say, wait a minute, dinosaurs on the ark? The first thing they'd say, well, wait a second, what about their size, Right? All right, and this is what people say. Well, okay, I know the Bible says that dinosaurs are on the ark because you said to every kind of air-breathing land animal, that includes the dinosaurs, but last time I checked, they're kind of big, right? I mean, forget the uh, giraffes, forget the elephants. I mean, what about the brachiosaurus? What about the Tyrannosaurus rex? I mean, they're big. Now, folks, are you ready for your big, deep thought tonight? Are you ready? You want to take a deep breath? Get ready for it? As one man pointed out, the big ones were big, but the little ones were little. <laughs> Let's just close in prayer. That's pretty profound, right? Excuse me? No, we already saw, if you were already uh, in the previous studies, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions of the dinosaurs was what? They're all these huge, big, giant monstrosities. Every one of them's like a brachiosaurus waiting to smash you. And that's not what we saw. When you take a look at the panoply of all these uh, kinds of dinosaurs that we see, we saw that the average size of a dinosaur is about the size of a sheep. Okay, they're not all big. Some the size of a chicken, unfortunately. Uh, some of them uh, even small as a cat. Okay, okay. So obviously the average size of a dinosaur, they're not all giants. So that would seriously reduce the size issue of squishing them, so to speak, on the ark. There's no squishing involved, by the way. We'll see that in a second. But secondly, even the big ones, you know, because some dig it big, like the Brachiosaurus or the Tyrannosaurus, right, uh, still didn't cause a problem because Noah, I believe, was a really smart guy. 
And if you read the Bible, Noah was 600 years old when he got on that boat. Now, how many guys have learned that you kind of know a couple more things from when you're in your 20s than when you're in your 60s? Right? You kind of get a little bit wiser the older you get. So I kind of think by the time you're not just 60, when you got 600, probably knew a couple things. Right? So I'm figuring, no, he's a pretty smart guy. So he probably figured out, hello, I got to get these dinosaurs on here. God's the one bringing them. Okay? I don't need to bring the big ones. Right? You bring the small ones. You bring the baby ones, okay? And it not just makes perfect sense because it solves the size issue, but it makes perfect efficient sense uh, when it comes to the whole reason why you bring them in the first place, right? Because babies sleep more, babies eat less, babies take up less space, they live longer, which means they produce more offspring when they get off the ark, which is the whole reason why you bring them in the first place, right? To repopulate the earth, all right? So I think that kind of fits that issue, okay? But... Kids have even figured this one out. Wait a second. So even if he, in the beginning, brought babies on the ark with him, right? So they're not the full-grown Brachiosaurus or Tyrannosaurus Rex. uh, There's still another problem. The Bible says, if you add up the dates, that Noah and his family and the animals were on that ark for over a year. So wait a second. So how did you keep them from growing so big? Because maybe they started out, but after a year, maybe they did get too big. Well, believe it or not, folks, it's funny it's like you just stick with the Bible, wait for man to catch up. They've actually done studies. Did you know that God thought of everything? Yeah. And God actually timed the growth rates of dinosaurs to accommodate a year-long journey on the ark. What a concept. Let's take a look at that evidence. And so the question now becomes, how big is a juvenile brachiosaur? You see... If the egg of a brachiosaur is as big as as this auditorium here, we're still in trouble, aren't we? Because a juvenile that size still could not walk onto the ark. It would would have been too big. So how big is a brachiosaur egg? Well, in fact, dinosaur eggs have been found all around the world. And for a long time, zoologists were puzzled and others were puzzled because not one of these dinosaur eggs was ever larger than about half a metre long, the size of an overinflated football. And this so puzzled um, one zoologist in particular, the head of the British Museum, a professor of zoology, that he put his mind to trying to build a bigger dinosaur egg. The problem was, whenever he made it bigger, it collapsed under its own weight. The shell just wasn't strong enough to keep it intact. Now, one solution to that might be to make the eggshell thicker, but what's the problem when you do that? It can't get out. Yes, that's normally the answer I hear, and that's a good answer, but in fact there's a problem that happens long before then, because if you think of a a chicken egg, inside you've got the little embryo, it's still respiring, like breathing out bad air if you like kids, breathing in good air, and that air has to percolate through the eggshell, but once you make the eggshell too thick, that can't happen, and so our baby dinosaur would have suffocated. So it makes sense that all the eggs we find around the world are only about the size of an overinflated football. So how big does that make our juvenile brachiosaur? Well, he's only going to be about three quarters of a metre high. No problem at all for Noah to march a couple of those on board the ark. Now, one question I'm often asked by very smart kids, it's amazing how smart youngsters are, they say, okay, 
So you take on board a brachiosaur that's only three quarters of a meter high, but after one year aboard the ark, these are clever kids, they know what their Bible says about the timing of the flood, surely it's going to be big. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. I say probably not. And it's interesting that recently there's been some work published in the secular science journals about dinosaur growth rates. And you can see here that it's more like an S shape, if I can use that terminology. Now, when you look at the time scale from these secular calculations, you can see that even at four years of age, Noah taking on board uh, a couple of large dinosaurs as juveniles, but so they were small, after one year they still would have been very small. In other words, I believe God timed it so that as these animals were disembarking, I believe they were fully mature in a biological sense, ready to reproduce, but they hadn't yet attained full size, and so they could have been a very rapid growth spurt after the flood. Isn't it amazing how we don't use the evidence to prove the Bible, but as man reveals by science, by studying nature and so on, reveals more and more it does fit with the historical account we read in the Bible. Wow. God figured everything out in advance. What a concept. Uh, you know, it's just too bad that he only did that, you know, when it came to the flood and Noah and his family and their needs. Or does he do that all the time, even with us today? That's a whole other sermon. Isn't that awesome? He's got it all figured out. No need to worry. Right? But isn't that great? I agree with that guy. You don't need to, you know, uh, doubt the Bible, okay? You just wait, unfortunately, for man to uh, catch up to what the Bible's been saying the whole time. And by the way, that's secular research. And it shows, you know, we're thinking that, boy, they're born, immediately they're born, and boom, they're going to shoot up, go off there, and become huge and big on the... No, right? The whole time they're on that ark, and maybe even a little bit after they get off, they still haven't hit their growth spurt. So there's plenty of time, even though they came on as juveniles or babies, uh, they're not going to grow into these big monstrosities and become a size issue on the ark, okay? The second question that people usually bring up when it comes to dinosaurs thinking that they got on the ark, not just their size, is it goes to that secondary question, that's, well, what about the space, Okay? And uh, what they usually do is they kind of uh, envision what you see with this picture here, okay? That uh, all the dinosaurs, if somehow they're on the ark, let alone the elephants and the giraffes, and, and typically you'll see this on murals, you know, stuff, and all the animals, their heads are sticking out the portals and all this stuff, and, and just don't breathe, John. The boat's going to sink, <gasps> you know, it's just going to tip, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's just waiting to fall. And unfortunately, nothing can be further from the truth, okay? Uh, there was plenty enough room on that ark uh, to hold not just two of every kind of air-breathing land animal, as we saw before, but even, yes, the dinosaurs, okay? So by way of, even though we already covered some of this stuff in our judge creation in the days of Noah study, but since we're in that context again, let's revisit that to, again, a, a dispel this myth that there wasn't enough uh, space on the ark uh, to even cover uh, the inclusion of the dinosaurs, okay? First of all, there was a couple limiting factors that God put when it came to getting the animals on the ark. Noah, this is one of the big myths, because people say, you mean to tell me that Noah put two of every species of animal on the whole planet? And the... No, read your Bible. God put in a couple limiting factors. And the first thing he did is he only brought two of every kind of air-breathing land animals. He didn't bring the water ones. He didn't need to bring in the whales and things of that nature. Okay, Genesis chapter 7, verse 13 through 14 says, On that very day, Noah and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. Here's what they had on there. Every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds. Again, notice the word there, kind. Every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind. Would that be a dinosaur? Moved along the ground. According to its what? 
kind, every bird according to its kind. So notice right there, he didn't mention whales or dolphins or sea turtles, right? And when you keep in this uh, obvious account, that is a limiting factor, right? It's not everything in the whole planet had to squish two of every kind of that boat. It's not. And that's a huge limiting factor. Now, we saw this before, but let's remind ourselves. This is Ernst Mayer. He's America's leading taxonomist. And he says the vast majority of the species in the world are fully capable of surviving in the water, and they don't need to be brought on the ark. And he starts to give you some limiting factors. For instance, Noah did not need to bring 21,000 species of fish, the 1,700 tunicates, the 600 echinoderms, like starfish and sea urchins, 107,000 mollusks, such as mussels, clams, oysters, 10,000 slenderants, like the corals and sea anemones and jellyfish, 5,000 different species of sponges, 30,000 different protozoans. Didn't need to bring them. He didn't need to bring some mammals that are aquatic, like, again, the whales and seals and dolphins. They wouldn't have been fine. Uh, certain with the amphibians, uh, they didn't need to bring the reptiles. Certain ones like uh, sea turtles, alligators, uh, didn't need to bring the arthropods, 838,000 species, the lobsters, shrimp, crabs, water fleas. How many of you guys hate that? Let's move on. Barnacles, also marine creatures, they don't need to come along, John. And finally, there's the multitude of insects. You didn't have to worry about that. And just the 35,000 species of worms. I can't believe there's that many. Uh, all of which could have survived on the ark floating on pieces of debris, right? Insects do that all the time. After a hurricane or flood, right? Finally, we got rid of the cockroaches. They come floating by and laughing at you. <laughs> I guess I have weird dreams. Uh, let's move on. Uh, but still, okay, so that's a limiting factor. He didn't need to bring all that on the boat, right? So that reduces the amount there. Second, again, is the word kind. And this is, again, I bring it up by way of importance. God uh, put it in the scripture repeatedly for a repeated importance. And this is what people say. And, and, you know, you say, oh, he put all the uh, animals on the ark. And then, then people come back and they say, oh, excuse me? You mean to tell me, Tom, uh, that... Uh, uh, Noah brought all the 250 species of dog on the ark. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say species. He said kind, okay? Two of every kind of animal, okay? And which means you only need to bring a male and a female dog. That's it. So you go from 250 plus more because we keep messing with them. We, we got a chi rat. How many guys ever heard of chi rat? I never heard of chi rat in my life. We got one. <laughs> half chihuahua, half rat terrier right? <laughs> Whatever. I was hoping for the Chiweenie, which is half Chihuahua and half Weenie dog, but we got the Chi rat. But anyway, let's move on or pray or do something. But anyway, right, so, so I don't know. Now they're up to 300 different kind of dogs. I don't know how. They used to be 250. But anyway, so you don't need to bring 250, 300, and a pack of Chi rats with you, right? You just need to bring a male and a female, right? So that limits it, okay? And again, that's what they say. They say, oh, excuse me, you mean to tell me that all the dogs on Noah's, uh, you know, in the world today came from two dogs in Noah's Ark. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. You guys ever have pets growing up? You ever have, them have a litter? Cats, dogs, whatever? Okay, don't say lizards because that'd be weird. But anyway, I guess they have babies. I haven't been there. But, uh, uh, but excuse me, I don't have a problem. Over 44, 45, 4,600 years, roughly around there somewhere, uh, that you have a male and a female dog and the different litters. One litter can produce all different kinds of size. Bigger ones, runts, you know, I, I identify. Uh, different colors, right? That's just one litter, right? Okay, uh, how many litters can you have? And then those litters mix with this and that one, over 4,500. I don't have a problem with that. Two dogs and Noah's Ark. Now, again, by way of example, just to revisit the issue, to put the nail in the coffin for the skepticism, I think actually the, the proof of the pudding's on the evolutionists. 
okay? Because I don't have any problem saying that all the dogs in the world today came from two dogs in Noah's Ark. The problem is with the evolutionists. And not just explain, according to their theory, where all the dogs came from, but all of life. Because here's really what they believe. We've seen this before. Let's take a look at it again. I was doing a, asked me to speak at this college in Boston one time. This preacher called all the colleges and universities around Boston. I got my charts out and I said, now folks, I believe the Bible. <clears throat> Nobody cheered. I said, I believe about 6,000 years ago God made everything. The world's not millions of years old. And 2,000 years ago Jesus came and I gave him the basic Bible story, okay? Then I told them what they believe. Because most of them don't know what they believe. You have to tell them. <laughs> you guys believe 20 billion years ago there was a big bang where nothing exploded and produced everything. 4.6 billion years ago the earth cooled down, made a hard rocky crust. It rained on the rocks for millions of years, turned them into soup, and the soup came alive 3 billion years ago. And this early life form found somebody to marry. <laughs> Boy, now that's a good trick. And something to eat, of course, and slowly evolved into everything we see today. One professor was getting kind of upset about this time. I seem to do that to them. He said, uh, Mr. Hoven, there are hundreds of varieties of dogs in the world. I said, yes, sir, you're right about that. He said, you mean to tell me that you believe all these dogs came from two dogs off of Noah's Ark? You expect me to believe that? Ha, ha, ha. I said, sir, would you look at what you're teaching your students? You're teaching your students that all the dogs in the world came from a rock. I had one lady, I'm sorry, woman, come to me after a debate one time. She was steaming down the aisle. Boy, she was mad. Oh, I could tell. I'm in trouble now. I stood there quivering in my boots, you know. She walked up and she said, Tonight, you said, we believe we come from a rock. We do not believe that. I said, well, ma'am, calm down just for a minute. I said, do you believe in evolution? She said, yes, I do. I'm a professor here at the university. I said, well, would you please tell me then where we came from? She said, we came from a macro molecule. I said, uh, where did that come from? She said, from the oceans, from the prebiotic soup. I said, where did that come from? She said, well, it rained on the rocks for millions of years. <laughs> and you could see it was slowly dawning on her. I do believe I come from a rock, don't I? <laughs> yes, ma'am, you do. You ought to be proud of it. Hey, don't step on Grandpa, whatever you do. <laughs> wow. How many guys would uh, personally like to stick to the account of two dogs on Noah's Ark to explain where the dogs came from? Okay. Apparently, you've got to be super religious to believe that you came from a rock. I don't have enough that, uh, that much faith. Okay. But seriously, when you take a look at the water limiting factor, okay, that reduces the amount that you're going to have to put on the Ark. Uh, you didn't need to bring any of those guys. But also the kind factor. Okay. Just, it was the same thing. Not just it would limit. You don't need 250 dogs, 300, whatever. You only need two, a male and a female. It's the same thing, folks, when it comes to the dinosaurs, right? Because then they say, well, you, I mean, we, boy, we've been digging in the dirt for a while now. We found all kinds of dinosaurs. There's tons of dinosaurs. Yeah, a lot of species. But now they finally calculate it out, just like with the rest of the animals. God didn't say two of every kind of species, including species of dinosaurs. He said just kinds. And folks, believe it or not, when they did it, the, the, the research, there's only about 50 dinosaur kinds. Let's take a look at that. Doesn't your Bible talk about a flood and some guy Noah built an ark and had to fit these enormous creatures on board the ark? How could he possibly have fitted the dinosaurs onto an ark? Now, we need to remember that when people ask that question, they're thinking the ark looked like that. And sadly, I've been to many churches where an ark that looks like that has been painted on the walls of the Sunday school. If only we could expunge that from uh, our children's books, there's so many of them that have that picture, and replace it with something 
that uh, is much more akin to the reality, as this uh, slide shows. The arc was enormous, about 140 metres long, 23 metres wide, over 13 metres high, with three decks. Absolutely enormous. It was stable in the highest seas and could have carried perhaps up to 15,000 tonnes. Well, when it comes to how many kinds Noah had to take on board the ark, though, don't we hear about so many different dinosaur species? It seems every week they're discovering a new dinosaur species. And when we look at how uh, scientists allocate species names to dinosaurs on the basis of fossils that have been found, you've got to look pretty hard to see any differences there. So here we've got an Apatosaurus skull on the top, and the bottom skull has been labelled as Diplodocus, and they say, well, one was longer and whiter than the other. But if we look around this auditorium here, we can see enormous variation just among the adults here, can't we? And so what I think is happening here is it's very likely that these two labelled species of dinosaurs are actually the same kind. And when we apply that standard to all the different dinosaur species, it seems there were only about 50 dinosaur kinds. Well, that certainly seems manageable, right? Again, kind is the key word there, and I don't think it's by chance that God repeatedly put that uh, in his words. Okay, so just like with the dogs, you don't need 250, 300, you only need two. It's the same thing with the dinosaurs. You don't need every single species, you just need two of the kind. There was probably about 50, okay? But you might be thinking, okay, well, okay. So that's the limiting factor. You got that issue going on there. You got that you don't need to bring the waters. You don't need to bring every, uh, the water ones. You don't need to bring every single species. It's just the kind, and when you even take a look at dinosaurs, you don't need to bring the big ones, you bring the small ones, and there's not every species, there's just 50 kinds of those. Okay, well, that's still a lot of animals. A lot of animals to stick on that boat, okay, on that ark. Okay, could the ark with its dimensions have held enough room for all the air-breathing land animals, their kinds, two of every kind, as well as the 50 kinds of dinosaurs? Yeah, and once again, we're going to see, folks, there was room to spare. Okay, let's take a look and go back to the account of the dimensions. We just read this. Genesis 6, verse 14 through 16. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're going to build the thing. And again, notice God, I think, not on chance, by purpose, though, but the exact dimensions. So you can bust out your calculator. The ark is 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Remember we saw last time, that's a ventilation purpose. Put a door in the side of the ark. Make a lower, middle, and upper decks. It's a triple decker, okay? is akin to like an ocean liner today that has several different decks. But if you keep reading the Bible... Uh, you take a look, you come across this factor of the dimensions. We don't have to question. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate. God gave us the exact dimensions, okay? So let's take a look at these dimensions and see if there was enough room to have a, v a vessel that's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Is this enough space? Absolutely. And there was space and room to spare, okay? First of all, the ark was not a ship with sloping sides. As you saw, I like the guy's other picture. It was a giant barge. Okay, and since it was a huge barge rectangle, okay, it maximized the carrying capacity. Nothing was wasted. So you do the math, given the dimensions in the Bible, the ark would have had over 100,000 square feet of floor space, a total cubic volume of 1,518,000 cubic feet, which is equivalent to 569 modern railroad stock cars. That's a lot. Okay, that's huge. Therefore, researchers say there's plenty enough room to get two of every kind of air-breathing land animal, including the 50 kinds, 
of dinosaurs, okay? And that's because researchers discovered, again, on the high side, no more than 35,000 individual animals needed to go on the ark, okay? Because the average size of the animal, including dinosaurs, remember, was the size of a sheep, right? And as we already saw, even the fewer ones, the bigger ones, whether it's giraffes or elephants, or even the bigger giant dinosaurs, Tyrannosaurus, Brachiosaurus, you don't need to bring the big ones. You bring the baby ones, Okay, so you're still down to about the size of a sheep. But even so, researchers decided to pad this number anyway. So they assumed a higher amount of 50,000 animals. Remember, it's only 35. Okay, but they decided we need to pad it. Let's really crank it up. 15,000 more. Okay, 50,000. Here's what they found. Using the railroad cars for comparison, they noted that the average double-deck stock car can accommodate about 240 sheep, right? So if you do the math, that means all of the 50,000 animals, remember that's 15,000 more than you need, 50,000 animals could be carried on only 208 of the 569 railroad cars, which is only 37% of the ark. You got plenty of room, okay, including the dinosaurs. This would leave an additional 361 cars or enough to make five trains carrying 72 cars each just to carry the food and the baggage. There's plenty of room and room to spare with the animals and the 50 kinds of dinosaurs and the luggage and Noah's family. But speaking of food and baggage, people say, well, wait a second. Remember, they were on there for over a year, so you got to bring the food supply. So let's take a look at that. Uh, a year's food supply uh, would be a lot of room, but let's do the math on that. First of all, once again, the Bible tells us that the people and animals were vegetarians before the flood. Remember, we saw that. We went into that kind of in great detail. But that's a limiting factor because that tells us that Noah did not need to bring tons and tons of bulky meat products and stuff to, to feed you know, things that nature. He only needed small dried foodstuffs or even concentrated foods. And again, if you're bringing babies on board, okay, they don't eat a whole lot in the first place. And as we saw before, the animals, probably a lot of them went into hibernation mode and they're not eating anything. But even if they did eat, they were vegetarian, so that didn't store a whole lot of room. So therefore, using this as a guide, researchers have calculated that the total volume of foodstuffs on the ark would only have been about another 15% of the ark's volume, and the drinking water would only have been about another 9.4%, which is still plenty enough room to spare on the ark. I think it's just around 62%, including the dinosaurs, including all the animals, two of every kind, air-breathing land animals, and the food, and it's, so you got what, 38% left to what, have square dance parties? You do the math, you take the Bible at face value, there's plenty of room, yes, even for the dinosaurs, okay? But uh, so if you keep reading, folks, it makes a lot of sense. The size was not an issue bringing dinosaurs on. Space is not an issue bringing on dinosaurs on. But you might be up here like Joey, uh, right? Yeah, just roll with it, there you go. And you might say, wait a second. If dinosaurs got on the ark, then that means, here's your deep thought, part two, they got off the ark. Right, John, you got that one? Okay, we'll pray for you later about the fire next door. Uh, you missed that. But uh, <laughs> we'll show you the video. <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, so what do you think? So if they got on, that means that they got off, okay? Uh, but uh, I know it was kind of dark on the way here, but I didn't see any dinosaurs out there. Did you guys? No? Okay, so, so what happened? How come we don't see dinosaurs, we see other animals that were on the ark, but what about the dinosaurs? Well, again, it's pretty simple if you read the Bible. You see, when the dinosaurs got off the ark, as well as the other animals, uh, the world had totally changed, and it wasn't very conducive for the dinosaurs, okay? Let's take a look at his comments. He says this, after the flood, the earth was a very different place. When Noah stepped off the ship, okay, it must have felt like he was getting off on another planet. 
you know, like Mars. It was completely wrapped. Remember the earth was covered in water? Remember the waters that says even in the Hebrew, beat up the earth? Gabar, I believe was the Hebrew word. Just the earth was smashed, pounded. And so then the water receded. It was messed up. You see the mountains we see here around Vegas? You know where those are from? They're messed up, aren't they? All just blobs of dirt. That's from the flood. Okay, so he gets off. That's all there, right? Nothing, he said, would look familiar. Most of the world is still covered with water. Seven out of every 10 spots on the globe is still underwater. All the landmarks were destroyed. The Garden of Eden was gone forever. The whole land of Eden was gone. Every other land, mud rocks were everywhere. Cold, forbidding mountains stood where none had been before. So one big thing is the planet had changed. It had changed on a massive scale, okay? And because of the drastic effects, not just of the flood itself, but the effects of the flood had on the earth after the flood, including the atmosphere, didn't make it very conducive for the dinosaurs to continue to grow in great population. Now, notice I'm not saying they went extinct, because I think there's still some alive today. We'll get to that maybe in a couple weeks. But let's take a look at why you don't see a huge population of dinosaurs, even though they got on and off the ark. Uh, first of all, we saw in the Judge Creation Study, in the days of Noah, the pre-flood atmosphere that helped produce the giantism which created giant, like, brachiosaurus and tyrannosaurus, okay, as well as people and plants. Remember that? We saw everything got bigger before the flood, okay, uh, including the dinosaurs. It wasn't there. At the time of the flood, all that's gone, okay? That all came down. All, uh, the increased air pressure, right, that's gone. The increase of oxygen content that we know that the pre-flood atmosphere had, that's gone. The lush environment, that's totally gone, okay? All, and the protection from the sun's harmful radiation, that's gone too, so it wasn't just that, whew, okay, got off the boat and the water receded. The planet had radically changed, not just the topography, but the climate, okay? As we saw, that now means that all of life, including the dinosaurs, no longer live and grew as large like they used to, like this video shows. Let's take a look. Is it possible that environmental conditions of past ages favored the development of giants? Certainly, we know from fossil evidence that some species, like dinosaurs, grew many times larger than they do today. Based on fossil evidence, trees like the California giant sequoia grew much larger than they do today. One theory explains this by proposing that environmental conditions in the distant past were more conducive to gigantic growth. Under these described conditions, Plants and animals would live longer, be much larger, and that's precisely what we find in the geologic column, in the fossil record. Plants were much larger. All living systems were larger. We have animals that today have an eight or nine foot stature with a 16 to 20 foot stature. We have insects such as the dragonfly. Today, the dragonfly has perhaps a four inch wingspan. In the fossil record, his counterpart, Meganeuropsis, had up to a five-foot wingspan. Everything was larger in the past. I'm of the opinion that under better atmospheric conditions, people were living uh, not only longer, but they were taller, much taller. Giants and dinosaurs could not exist today as they did in the past because the atmospheric conditions simply will not permit it. We had a greater ozone layer at the time prior to the flood. At the time of the flood, it was diminished to about one-seventh of what it was at that time, and therefore 
life on this earth as we know it no longer has the same life expectancy as it did at the time of the flood. So, obviously, with this uh, being gone, it's going to have a radical change on them. Okay? First of all, uh, even though I think there's a few floating around on the planet, they're not, I don't think, are, are, we're not going to see them get as big as they used to. Right? Because that, that which produced the giantism is no longer here. We don't get as big as we see in the fossil record. The plants don't get as big, but that would also include the dinosaurs. Now, also, if you recall, it talked about in the pre-flood atmosphere, it had the double air pressure, right? And it had a higher oxygen content, unlike today. That's going to have an effect on the dinosaurs as well. Some of them probably couldn't make it, okay, uh, and, and adapt with that. Uh, in fact, we saw, if you recall, uh, there was the one dinosaur, uh, I believe it was the apatosaurus, and the evolutionists still today cannot figure out why uh, that particular dinosaur, how it even lived back in the, you know, of course they don't believe in the pre-flood atmosphere, but how did it even survive? Because per its size, its nostrils were only the size of about a horse nostrils. Remember that? And we saw that they, they, they just have no answer for this uh, because it's too small, too small of the uh, uh, orifice to get proper airflow uh, to keep them oxygenated. So how in the world do these things survive? Well, yeah, in today's atmosphere, wouldn't work. In the pre-flood atmosphere, with double the air pressure and a higher oxygen content, piece of cake. So these creatures still got the same nostril size, but then you get off and the oxygen is different, right? And so things begin to change. And I think it began to happen over time because you saw, if you look in the biblical account, this change in the climate in the atmosphere affected people. If you notice the rates and the ages recorded in the Bible, uh, pre-flood, 900 years old, whatever, do you notice the ages very quickly recorded in the Bible after the flood? What happens to them? They start to go down, but they, go, they don't go down immediately. They go down gradually. So I think some of these gradual effects begin to have effect not only on people, and we kind of settled out to an equilibrium. They have the same kind of effects also on dinosaurs. It prevented all of life, including dinosaurs, from growing as big, living as long, which is another key, because we saw before it, lizards never stop growing. So you put a lizard in an environment with this double the air pressure, higher oxygen content, a greenhouse effect, and it just keeps on growing, unending food supply. How big is that lizard going to get in a couple hundred years? Going to get big. And we'll, again, we'll see that later. Okay, But now they're not living as long, so that's going to limit things as well. But then you also got to change the stability, not just the climate. Uh, not only would it be, uh, the dinosaurs be affected after the time of the flood uh, by their size, but so would their numbers. The population probably... Is just unfortunately never going to get to what it used to be prior to the flood. And that's because after the flood, uh, they still had some major effects going on, right? This is when you start to see the introduction of other calamities as well, all kinds of catastrophes. For instance, due to the effects of the flood, you see the earth now has these things called earthquakes. Okay, the earth is still cracking up today, volcanoes, all kinds of calamities that weren't there before. So that's probably going to reduce their number, okay? Uh, the temperatures on the earth had uh, changed and started to become extreme. Most likely in the pre-flood world, it was more of a constant, kind of a tropical effect. You got some parts of the world that got much hotter, uh, dried up, created deserts that we see today. So that's going to kill off some of them. Some places, uh, all of a sudden, they got this thing called snow. And we do know that after the flood, that there was a period of an ice age that followed. So that probably took uh, some out as well. And then finally, the harmful radiation from the sun that was the protective measure, that's all gone uh, in the atmosphere. And so you put all these factors together, and it became very unstable for these uh, creatures uh, to survive with the same rate of population. Then you got the change of food, okay? Not only did the world become harsh for them physically, but nutritionally, major drastic change, okay? The food supply that they had unending before, it just wasn't there. 
uh, to eat on that scale. After the earth, it had no longer those huge, massive, giant forests. Remember we saw the trees prior to the flood? We found some of them 1,000 feet tall. Huge, man. All that's gone. That food supply is all gone. Many of them have had a hard time finding food, so that's going to be another limiting factor why their population is not as big as it used to be. And then finally, I think this is actually one of the biggest critters, a change in relationship. Okay, One of the biggest culprits, I think, why we don't see a huge population of dinosaurs, even though I believe they got off on the ark, is because of man. Man is the one that began to take them out. Mankind, uh, Mayweather recalls this, and this is because history records that man is often the one responsible for killing off the last of an animal kind, right? We call them protective species today and things of that nature. They go extinct. Who's the one that usually causes that to happen? Mankind. And by the way, it doesn't take very long either. Okay, for instance, uh, remember the buffalo? I grew up in Kansas, Nebraska, right? Those guys right there are standing on bones of buffalo. They just massacred them, went through there, okay, almost completely, completely wiped out. And not for food. You're thinking, boy, there's a hungry guys back in the Midwest. No, just for sport, just something to kill because there were so many of them, right? And therefore, this same scenario could be applied to the dinosaurs after the flood. People could have killed them for meat or for sport or just because of the problems they would have had, you know, being clear next to you. One guy said this. He said, after the flood, people began to kill the dinosaurs. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 9 that, after the flood, mankind was allowed to eat what? Meat. So if your job as a guy was to go get meat for your family, are you going to kill squirrels? No, you'd be hunting all the time. You want to go for something big. So obviously they say the dinosaur was the likely target, kind of like the buffalo. Uh, there'd be a lot of hamburger. You could not only feed your family, you could feed a village uh, with one of those guys. Also, maybe because they were a menace, right? Who wants to live next door to a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Kind of cool to say at least once, but uh, it messed things up, okay? Maybe you just want to be a hero, or maybe it's a guy thing. You're just a hunter, right? And so one guy says this, when you go out hunting, do you just do you go looking for Bambi? No, you're a guy. What do you look for? You want the biggest thing, whatever you can get, right? He said, if you're in your tree stand and a herd of deer came running right under you, there's three bucks in the herd. You only got time to get off one shot. Which one are you shooting? The biggest one, right? It happens every single time. You're going to shoot the biggest one. And he says, I wonder how the hunter felt right after the time of the flood with dinosaurs available. Which one are you going to shoot? You're always going to go after the biggest one. And the guy says, I can see him now shooting a brachiosaurus, putting him on the back of the Jeep and dragging him down to the taxidermist. Hey, mount this thing. I'll put it on my wall. All right? It's a guy thing, but we do it all the time. Okay. So as the population of people began to grow, the population of bigger, ferocious animals, including the dinosaurs, began to diminish, okay? He gives an example. He says, for instance, in Florida, how many grizzly bears are in Florida? Probably none today. Uh, but if you do your research, uh, how many were there 500 years ago? There used to be uh, bears there in Florida. But when people move in, the bigger ferocious animals are driven or killed off. That's the way it's always been. So as the population of the world grew after the flood, the population of dinosaurs shrank and for the first thousand years or so after the flood, people were killing off the dinosaurs. So that's why we don't see a huge, giant population of them today. Okay? But you might be sitting there thinking, wait a second. So now I'm, I'm trying to gra grapple with this. Dinosaurs, first of all, coexisted with man. Um, we saw that evidence. And then dinosaurs were on the ark. And then dinosaurs got off the ark. Now you're going to tell me that mankind was hunting dinosaurs for a thousand years afterwards or, or, or longer? Yeah. But see, the reason why we don't get it is because we think of that word dinosaur, right? 
The word dinosaur was not invented until 1841 by Sir Richard Owens. Throughout mankind's history, post-flood, there are so many accounts of man hunting down dinosaurs and killing them for these kind of reasons. They're all throughout virtually every culture on the planet, except they didn't call them dinosaurs because that's a relatively new word. The word that they used was dragons. Dragons are not mythical creatures. Dragons are what they called dinosaurs that they hunted down almost to near extinction because I think some of them are still alive today. But we'll get to that, Joey, next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, 
because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds. You're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. 
It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.